Chapter six of Pope Adrian the Fourth and Historical Sketch by Richard Raby. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter six. Soon after his accession, Adrian received, among other letters of congratulation, one from Henry the Second, King of England, who had succeeded to his crown at the same time as the Pope. This letter was as follows a sweet breath of air hath breathed in our ears inasmuch as we learn that the news of your elevation hath scattered like a refulgent aurora the darkness of the desolation of the church the apostolic see rejoiceth in having obtained such a consolation of her widowhood all the churches rejoice at beholding the new light arise and hope to behold it expand to broad day but in particular our west rejoiceth that a new light hath arisen to illuminate the globe of the earth and that by divine favour the west hath restored that sun of christianity which towards the east was set wherefore most holy father we sharing in the general jubilee at your honours and celebrating with devout praise the bounties of the divine majesty will lay open to you our desires confiding as we do with filial devotion in your paternal goodness for if the carnal son exposeth to his father in confidence his carnal desires how much more should not the spiritual son do so with regard to his spiritual one assuredly among other desires of our heart we do not a little desire that as the almighty's right arm hath chosen your most reverend person to be spiritually planted like a tree of life in the midst of paradise and to be transplanted from this land of ours into his orchard we will chiefly take care to reform by your conduct and doctrine all the churches that all generations may call your land blessed through your beatitude this too we thirst for with a sincere heart that the spirit of tempest which is wont to rage furiously about the pinnacle of honour may never wrest you from the concern of your sanctification lest by reason of any deficiency in you the deepest abyss of disgrace should succeed to the highest summit of dignity and this we ardently long for that as the regulation of the church universal belongs to you you will take care to create such cardinals free of reproach as shall know how to appreciate your burden and be willing and competent to aid you in supporting it not regarding ties of country quality of birth or extent of power but that they love god hate avarice thirst after justice and burn with the zeal of souls nor are we slightly affected by the desire that as the unworthiness of ministers is detrimental above all things to the church you will vigilantly watch whenever your providence shall happen to be petitioned touching the collation of benefices lest any unworthy person intrude into the patrimony of the crucified and seeing that the holy land blessed by the origin of our redemption consecrated by the life and death of christ a land which christian devotion holds in particular respect is distracted by incursion of the infidels and polluted by their abominations we wish from our very soul that you would provide men of your own devout solicitude in its defence and in regard of that empire of constantinople once so illustrious now so woefully desolate 
what christian man ought not to desire that by your care and prudence it may receive timely consolation for the rest we confide and hope in the lord that as you have not failed while rising from virtue to virtue and from honour to honour to shine according to the exigence of each of them so you will not fail now that you are called to the apogee of apostolical elevation to illustrate and inflame the subject church in such a manner as shall permit no one to hide himself from your light and heat and that after your death you will leave behind such vestiges of sanctity that your native land which congratulates itself on your happy beginning will find much glory in the lord in your happier end finally we request of your paternity with full confidence that you will be pleased to remember us our family and kingdom especially in your prayers and vows a few months after the receipt of this letter adrian was visited by his renowned countryman john of salisbury afterwards bishop of shot who arrived in a diplomatic capacity from king henry to procure the papal sanction to a projected conquest of ireland by england the motives to this ambitious scheme which william the conqueror and henry i had also entertained were alleged to be the civilization of the irish people and the reformation of the irish church both of which were represented as given over to barbaric anarchy and the most crying abuses and indeed such was the real state of civil and religious affairs in that country in the twelfth century as will be shown lower down that the motives in question derived the greatest weight from the circumstance and induced the pope to give the sanction requested this he did in the following brief adrian bishop servant of the servants of god to his most dear son in christ the illustrious king of the english health and apostolical benediction thy magnificence thinketh praiseworthy and fruitfully touching the propagation of thy glorious name over the earth and the laying up of a reward of eternal felicity in heaven when like a catholic prince thou dost project the extension of the boundaries of the church the proclamation of the christian faith to ignorant and rude people and the extirpation of the weeds of vice from the lord's vineyard and when to the better execution hereof thou dost request the advice and favour of the apostolic see in which matter we feel confident that as thou shalt proceed with higher counsel and greater discretion so thou wilt make under the lord's favour the happier progress seeing that those things usually reach a good issue which have sprung out of an ardour for the faith and love of religion certainly there can be no doubt that ireland as well as all the isles which christ the son of justice hath illuminated and which have borne testimony to the christian faith are subject to st peter and the most holy roman church on which account we are all the more ready to plant therein the plantation of the faith and the seed which is grateful to god as we discover on close examination it is required of us forasmuch then as thou hast signified to us most clear son in christ that thou art wishful to enter the island of ireland to subdue that people under the laws and to root out of it the weeds of vice and art wishful to pay to st peter a pension of one penny a year for each house and to preserve intact the rights of the church in that country 
we regarding favourably and vouchsafing to thy petition our gracious assent hold it to be a grateful and acceptable thing that thou shouldst enter that island to extend the boundaries of the church to stem the torrent of crime to correct morals to introduce virtue to augment the christian religion and to execute what thy mind may have found good for god's honour and the country's prosperity and let the people thereof receive thee honourably and respect thee as their lord the rights of the church remaining intact and saving the pension to st peter and the most holy roman church of one penny a year for each house and shouldst thou be so fortunate as to accomplish what thou hast planned strive to improve the irish nation by good morals and act in such a manner by thyself as well as by those whom thou shalt employ and whom thou shalt first have proved to be trustworthy by means of their fidelity their opinions and conduct that the church may be adorned the christian faith extended and everything that belongs to the honour of god and salvation of souls so ordered by thee in ireland as to qualify thee to deserve an eternal reward in heaven and a glorious name on earth through all ages this famous brief by which henry the second of england held himself divinely authorized to conquer ireland is strongly disapproved of by many writers especially by irish ones who will not alloy it the least excuse but overwhelm it with abusive censure and yet the plain truth is adrian meant it as he worded it for ireland's good however false the grant of constantine the great on which the claim set up for st peter's dominion over the islands is founded may have been proved in later times to be yet it is certain that both the grant and claim in question were in the eleventh and twelfth centuries firmly believed in by all orthodox christians just as much so as that the pope was literally our saviour's vicar on earth before whose powers every other had to bow that the king of england was secretly guided by worldly motives while ostensibly professing religious ones was his concern and not the pope's whose business was to weigh the merits of the case not by reasons imputed but by those propounded which if he found them from the religious point of view of his time sound he was justified in accepting now there is the best evidence in contemporary writings especially in those of giraldus and st bernard that ireland was as above said given up in the twelfth century to the worst demoralization in church and state that a country not wholly pagan or savage could be giraldus who travelled in ireland in the suite of king john and attentively observed its condition expresses in his work written on the subject his surprise that a nation in which the christian faith had been planted so far back as the days of st patrick and had gone on increasing more or less ever since should yet in his age be so ignorant in the very rudiments of religion a nation as he proceeds to describe it filthy in the extreme buried in vice and of all nations the most ignorant of the rudiments of the faith in support of this severe censure he accuses the irish of despising matrimony of being addicted to incest of refusing to pay tithes and of totally neglecting attendance at church in another place he writes that the people in many districts continued still to be pagans through the indifference of the clergy 
st bernard draws a picture not less darkly shaded in his life of st malachi adverting to the state of the irish church on the promotion of that saint to the episcopacy he describes how the new bishop soon found out that he had to do with brutes and not with men how that nowhere he had met with such barbarism of every sort nowhere found a race so perverse in their morals so savagely opposed to religious rites so impious towards the faith so headstrong against discipline so barbarous towards the laws so filthy in their habits of life a people christians in name but heathens in practice who paid no tithes who contracted no lawful marriages who never confessed their sins who had hardly any one among them to ask or give a penance in whose churches neither the voice of the preacher nor the chorus of the chanters was ever heard the political was in complete harmony with the religious state of the country parcelled out among petty kings and chiefs who seemed only to subsist by devouring each other and in the crush and tumult of their feuds stood so thick on the ground as hardly to have elbow-room the whole island presented one untiring round of treacheries massacres conflagrations and plunderings wholesale and retail such as is without example elsewhere in history with no other hope so long as left to itself of anything but an aggravation of the evil if that were possible that adrian was such a state of things before his eyes should readily give his sanction to a project which however liable to be clogged by human imperfection could not at any rate make things worse but haply might make them better was surely a proceeding quite consistent with the character of a wise and zealous pope of a pope too who lived and thought when the crusades were at their height and who may therefore be very well supposed to have viewed the condition of ireland once the island of saints but now the scene of worse than pagan abominations as not less calculated for the efforts of holy chivalry than palestine if then it can appear that adrian might have acted in his brief to henry just as well out of motives of religious duty as out of those of court policy it is a perverse thing to award him the latter rather than the former because to do so is to make him not less absurdly than wickedly inconsistent with his previous and subsequent career which was marked by one unswerving purpose to defend the church against the encroachment of secular power to maintain her doctrines intact and to extend her boundaries to the utmost besides it should not be forgotten that his brief was confirmed by his illustrious successor alexander the third who thus gave his testimony to the uprightness of intention which originated it as well as to its proper adaptation in the spirit of that age to the emergency which elicited it an emergency which from the terms used by alexander in conveying his confirmation would seem by no means to have diminished but rather to have increased in the meantime in short it is nothing better than a logical solecism to wish to maintain that two such popes as adrian the fourth and alexander the third educated in the school of the sublime hildebrand and ranking among the very foremost of his disciples by the intelligent and dauntless manner in which they withstood the storm of imperial usurpation which threatened to shatter the church under their pontificates should deviate from their glorious career to 
belie their principles the one by granting out of national prejudice and court sycophancy a license of spoliation to a king of england and the other by confirming it out of reasons just as unworthy as it was providence did not see fit to allow the views either of adrian or henry to be carried out as originally intended for the expedition of the king against ireland was put off on account of various obstacles for fourteen years during which term the papal brief was consigned to the royal archives and there forgotten nor was it till six years after the actual invasion of ireland by strongbow that its existence was remembered by henry who anxious to consolidate his new conquest had the authority of adrian's brief renewed by procuring another in confirmation of it from alexander and then caused such documents to be read up before the irish bishops assembled in synod at waterford by whom his sovereignty had already without any reference to papal commands been acknowledged that the english sway turned out so unjust and disastrous to ireland reflects no blame on adrian than whom no one would have more deplored the evil and striven against its true causes than he rather ought he from the spirit of his brief the only fair test to apply to him to be regarded as the head of that small unfortunately so very small band of englishmen who have ever meant well to the sister isle and who to speak the sober truth if their views might prevail would alone be likely to promote her true prosperity by shielding her not only against her outward but her inward foes to which latter consisting in those elements of social discord so profusely so deeply rooted as it would seem in the nature of her people she owes by far the worst portion of her calamities no doubt pope adrian a man of the most shrewd practical intellect and from the circumstances of his life of the deepest experience in human nature saw clearly enough then what continues to be seen so clearly by men of his stamp now that ireland could never truly prosper so long as left to her own management by reason of the incurable defect mentioned above and that therefore to sanction her sisterly not her slavish connection with a nation like the english so eminent for those very qualities of order and self-maintenance in which she is so wanting would be a work of as great charity in itself as of mutual advantage to the parties concerned for the rest it should not be forgotten that however much the english occupation of ireland may through a series of causes not to be foreseen in adrian's time have turned out a curse yet the occupation in question had the immediate effect of producing the reform of those religious abuses which constituted the worst misfortunes of the country and which till henry had actually arrived thither continued in all their hideous deformity this happy result took place under the auspices of henry at the senate of cashel summoned by him at the beginning of the year eleven seventy two and attended by all the heads of the irish clergy 
besides the brief in question adrian gave to john of salisbury as the latter relates in the last chapter of his metalogicus a gold ring set with a fine emerald for the king his master in token of investment with the lordship of ireland which important jewel whose rare virtues john of salisbury adds were he to describe it would require a volume to enumerate was also deposited in the royal archives not only henry the second of england but louis the seventh of france a year or two later solicited adrian's approbation of a scheme of foreign conquest which in this case was intended to be carried out in spain where the french monarch pretended he wanted to serve the church by expelling the saracens but the pope treated the application of louis very differently to that of henry for in his brief of reply after awarding all praise to the religious zeal alleged by the french king as his motive he points out the flagrant wrong which louis would commit in gratuitously interfering in the affairs of an independent nation like spain the consent of whose princes could alone justify such a step so that until such consent could be obtained he adrian could do nothing else than totally condemn and warn him against his project adrian's conduct in this instance was not less consistent than in the other for as over ireland in his character of an island he believed himself to possess through the supposed testament of constantine certain rights and thought proper to exercise them so over spain being ignorant of any such rights he arrogated none but acted as became him on the general principles of christian justice End of chapter 6